0: All right, so we are trying to have a productive conversation about these things. As I just prayed, we're not trying to, this is not a publicity stunt or anything like that. Quite honestly, I mean, I just don't have time for that stuff. Right, facts. I'm not down I gotta with fight that. got a flight to catch, so. Uh,
1: yeah,
0: so, <laughs> are you actually flying out today? Yeah, later on. You are? Yeah, I am. I was not aware of that. Yeah, I am a
1: little What time's your
0: flight? I
1: think in the evening. Sorry, y'all. Yeah, I hope like,
0: it's in the evening.
1: What's up? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's in the evening. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, we're good now. You good? Yeah, we're all right. good.
0: We're good. Good. Because we got plans, you know? Yeah, we we're we're, we're going to talk about stuff. So, we're trying to have a productive conversation here about this stuff. And so, I would say I don't know if you want this or need this. I need this, and yes. I want this. Please give grace. Please be patient. I'm not yeah. up here as an expert on this at all. I don't pretend to be one, I don't play one on TV. None of that stuff. Um, So I I deeply care about this stuff. I'm I'm the pastor, so I should care. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to lead in a way that is in the right direction on this stuff, but please give grace and be patient um, with me uh, and with us. We're going to be doing our best to not misrepresent the issue or any groups of people. Uh, We're going to be doing our best to do that. We want to be able to speak in ways that uh, we We don't want to speak in ways that are insensitive or contribute to the divide in any way, and I know both I know that wherever you're at in this discussion, um, there are times where the way that the discussion happens around us, we feel alienated in the conversation and mm. we don't feel drawn in. Mm. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're we're trying to talk about it in a ways that are helpful, um, and I would say even Kenny, I, yeah. I'm not scared of this. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of am, but I'm, <laughs> I'm down. I would say, if I even say something, yeah, yeah, where you need to like put me in check, be be kind, <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, like I would say let's let's talk about it. Call me right. out. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to be contributing to the problem. But we don't have view, we don't we don't just uh, view this as a, a cultural issue or a political issue, um, social issue, whatever, um, we, we see this as a, a sin issue. And so that's, that's our perspective, that racism is wrong in all, in all its forms, yeah. it's an affront to God, and um, the gospel is about confronting sin, right? So don't even misunderstand what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And what shift might we be taking as a church? Or if you're even wondering what place, because obviously this is a relevant issue to our culture. Yes. Some of you might be wondering, what's, how is this relevant to the church? What, how, how does the church need to be talking about these things? So we're gonna be addressing this stuff, but for us, like, this is a sin issue. Come on. And it's one that we need to repent of when this is stuff that is perpetuated in the church. Does that make sense? So it's stuff that we need to uh, repent of. And so we wanna be talking about this stuff. And um, um, we're going to try to talk about race and racial tension and Jeez. bias and all these things in, in ways that <laughs> that draws people in. Are you ready for this?
1: I feel like I got set up.
0: You did. <laughs> you did. Uh, and and some questions have been coming in.
1: Oh man! Take so it easy on me.
0: When we look at the news, you do you watch the news?
1: You're I probably a Fox Twitter, News guy. Eh? Newsfeed. News Speaking feed, of setup. Newsfeed. Newsfeed. That's my news source.
0: Yeah. Well, when even when you look at what's been happening yeah, in yeah. our country recently, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can go back historically, which we're going to, uh, but even in the last handful of weeks, mm. we've got the uh, governor of Virginia, right? That photo that uh, came out where I don't think he ever admitted which one of the two individuals he was in in the photo, but one, we've got. Blackface and Blackface. the KKK yeah. hat, not Both awesome. Both bad. Both, yeah. Neither obviously one were bad. good. Yep. There's- so there's that. That's been in the news. Yeah. Um, Howard Schultz, who's uh, looks like he wants to run for president uh, as an independent, he you know, there was a big uproar uh, and a lot of pushback when he made the statement, "I don't see color." Yeah. And some people said, "That's not okay that you talk about it that way."
1: Right. That's the that's. And we'll, we'll, In Harlem, they said that's BS.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. it is, and we'll we'll talk about why.
1: Yeah,
0: um, we have the situation with Jesse Smollett, which I'm sure you're aware of, yes. who fabricated a story uh, touching on all the hot button issues: right. anti-racist, uh, 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 homophobic, mm-hmm. and pro-Trump, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and the thing is that with that is those are real sentiments, and there's those are. Emotionally charged issues in America, right? And so all so this is stuff that is we're we're constantly talking about.
1: And even Gucci creating the blackface. Oh, have y'all heard about that? I am. Oh, I'm, everybody I'm, in New York is talking about that. Okay. Like Gucci is canceled right now in Harlem. Shows you how so
0: shows you how aware I am. That so that so way.
1: so there's a guy that, that he's one of he's one of the first black designers for Gucci. His name is Dapper Dan. He's like a Harlem legend. And so the CEO of Gucci flew in from Europe to talk to Dabba Dan because the black community wasn't happy. Yeah, they just, I mean, you can Google it, but they just created something that basically was a blackface. Like, it was like some kind of turtleneck thing that you pull up and it's basically a blackface, yeah.
0: So all these things are happening, obviously not helpful. And, and I want to be, you know, and it's not just about the black community and the white community. Um, obviously, about six months ago, there was a shooting in the Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh. Yep. That new Congresswoman from Minnesota made a statement on Twitter that she had to to apologize for that was uh, Um, anti-Semitic. I read an interesting article yesterday about Jeremy Lin, the basketball player, and he talked about what it was like to uh, be in a league where no one looks like him. And some of the stereotypes and comments and ways that he's been treated. Um, He was even saying how uh, everyone calls him Yao Ming. Wow. And sort of, they think it's cute,
1: wow. you know, to
0: call him that. Um, but anyway, this is something that's not just a black or white issue. I want to try to be sensitive that I don't want people of other groups like uh, uh, the Hispanic community or uh, the Asian community, I don't want anyone to feel marginalized or pushed aside or disregarded in this conversation. Right. Um, obviously, um, <coughs> racism in all its forms is wrong. Yeah. Um, but as we talk about, stuff that probably will deal more with um, racism as it, as it, as it um, affects so the, like the African-American white, community. Binary. I think these principles are transferable and, and that's what we we're able to talk about. Yeah. And, and I hope that these things, um, while still acknowledging those individuals, right. are still applicable about how we should be thinking about these things and even like what does it look like for them to be unintentional bias and uh, that sort of stuff. So, you know, obviously racism is not an American issue. No, uh, it, it's it. You know clearly, if you know anything about history, um, it's not an it's it's not an American issue, and we even see it in scripture. Yeah, you know, we even see it in scripture. So obviously, it's not endorsed in scripture, uh, but we see it recorded for us in scripture, and um, and uh, as someone. But 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 there is, there is a unique story. Racism has a unique story yes. in America, yes. uh, for obvious reasons. And um, while racism is something that is seen around the world and all throughout history, as someone who is not an American citizen, right. I wasn't. Yeah. I've not grown up in an environment right. where that story was something it's that was story. that was part of our history. Right. So um, and we've
1: talked about all this in Miami, and I like pool. Yeah, so side I,
0: I love talking to you about yeah. about this stuff, and I've and that's an example of why I'm not an expert on this, and I'll probably ask stupid questions, and I've always appreciated that you've allowed me to to do that. But even like within our city here, this city that I love so much, um, you, racism has a unique story here. Mm-hmm. You know the way that it's been seen here over the years, and um, it's heartbreaking, mm. and and it's it's something that um, we can't. I've heard at times people dismiss racial tension as an issue in the South, Mm. as if it doesn't exist everywhere else, when when of course it does. So what I'd like to first start off by talking about with you, Kenny, is if you could speak to how racism is systemic.
1: Ooh, good question. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Um... Uh, well, first of all, thank you all for coming out and sticking around. I know you probably could have done a million other things, so I appreciate you guys wanting to learn, grow, maybe challenge, whatever. For whatever reason, you know, grateful that you stayed. Um, it's interesting, Zoe, because we, you know, racism, I would say, is America's original sin. Like, this is America's original... In fact, my, my friend Jamar Tinsby said... Uh, greed is America's original sin, and racism is the result of greed. And And I think what happens with racism is, we think that it's, but my, my the biggest issue I have with a lot of my white friends that are Christians is that they think that racism is an individual problem. And so what often happens is, your point about it being systemic, We st- we try to treat racism a systemic problem with individual solutions. And that bleeds into how we think about race and racism in the church. And so racism is simply power attached to bias. Power plus bias equals racism. So the reality is every system of oppression is simply that. It's bias, it's being biased towards a certain group, maybe their sexuality, maybe it's the way they vote, maybe it's the color of their skin. And then having the ability to execute on that bias structurally, that's power, and that equals the system of oppression. And so we see every system of oppression kind of grow that way, and racism is no different. And what's interesting is, if you look at the history of this, of this issue, there was a time in America where we didn't think of ourselves as black or white. And so on and so forth. But instead, you know, you were Irish and you were Italian or you were this or you were, you were, Af- wherever you were from, right? There, there were groups of people that actually lived together in this country in the early, like, settler colonial days. But what happened was, you know, there was this thing historically called Bacon's Rebellion where they realized that, oh, snap, wait, our issue isn't poor white anger or poor black anger but it's when poor white anger and poor black anger comes together. And so the, the 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 ruling class right, realized that, man, we need to create a system, we need to create something that's going to divide people, that's going to keep poor whites and poor blacks from realizing we're the problem. We're the ones that's making their lives a living hell. We're the, we're the ones that's, that's keeping them living in slums and living, living in terrible conditions. And so they basically instituted this system of... Of, of, of bias that we now consider race. And, and, and when you think about that, you know, the church has never been separate from this issue. The church and, the racism in the church have gone hand in hand from the very jump. The first slaves that were purchased from the shores of Lagos, Nigeria by the Portuguese, they paid a tithe to the Church of England for. They paid a tithe to own bodies, right? And And the church has never been separated ever since, and so understanding that that there's a systemic now operation that allows a sort of plantation within our society that allows this system to continue to reproduce itself, and so the slave plantation is the first sign of systemic racism, right, because you see the different levels within the plantation, right, there was the master, there was the house. Negro, then there was the, the field Negro, and, and, and there was all these different variations. And that, that was the first system, but then it just became a part of how we operate in the air we breathe. So, I mean, there, there's a real, this, this thing is real complex h- historically. Like, it's not one simple answer, but we all live in the air that racism has created.
0: Yeah, so. Uh, it's one thing for us to look around yeah. and look outside of us and see racism and, yeah. and, and wag our finger at it. Yeah. But yeah, it 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 has it. It the church historically has been a part of the problem. Yes,
1: Puritans own slaves. I heard a story once. So I
0: heard a story when, it was, I think it was last year. I learned about a, a church. I forget which state it's in. Mm-hmm. Um. Um but let's just call it First Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. Maybe I won't use the word First Baptist Church because actual churches are called that. Yeah. So let's, that was an example, totally hypothetical. (laughs) Whatever the name of the church is, I don't even know, I don't even remember. But what was interesting, uh, he was sharing with me about in this town, Uh and it was in the south, Yeah. there's a church up the street, and by church I mean building, there's a church building here and then down the street there's another church building. Right. Both of them are called the exact same name. The both right. churches are named the same thing. Right. But one everyone just knows is the white church. church. And this second church was created for those that aren't supposed to be in, the white in church. this church. Yeah. So there's two churches in the same town called the same Main. thing. Right but they're a block from each other. But they have this this uh Divide and that yes, separation. Unseen and it's divide. almost like, well, you know, like it's really no different than the um, uh, the separation of the black white water fountains. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, here's the white church, but oh, you guys need church too. So we'll have we'll right. we're basically cut and paste this down here for you, but right. you can't come into this. Yep,
1: crazy to me. Totally. Yeah, and the crazy church has me. always been complicit in this. I mean, and, and and this is what's important for us to reckon with, like. We say things in our culture like Constantine changed the Bible, but Constantine didn't change the Bible, he changed the church. Because he was the one who merged church and empire. And so when church and empire became one, now the church no longer functioned as the movement Jesus created. And started to function as a sort of state-sanctioned force that now did the state's bidding in whatever area that the state wanted it to do its work. And so, the church really never, even after the Protestant Reformation, never really broke away from that sort of institutional mindset that it had for the thousand years before that. And so, that's why, you know, the Puritans own slaves. My denomination, like the denomination I got ordained in, like people wouldn't think I'm ordained Southern Baptist. I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. You would never think that. Black dude from Harlem went to a Southern Baptist seminary. And I just went there because all the professors wrote the books that I was reading theologically. But... But as I dug into the history there, I was talking to my white Southern Baptist friends. I'm like, do you understand why you're called the Southern Baptist? Because your ancestors wanted to own slaves. That's the only reason that there's a Southern Baptist and a Northern Baptist. They were just Baptists until the issue of slavery came up. And the Southern Baptist said, we want to keep our slaves. And the Northern Baptist said, we must repudiate this institution. And so the church has never, ever, ever, not been in step with whatever the world or the culture was doing at the time.
0: And you know what I love about what's happening, just a moment on the Southern Baptist, yeah, yeah. what I love of what we're starting to see now within that denomination yeah.
1: is people like yourself and yeah. some other people like Tahati Lewis and yeah. others. And I'm not in it anymore though. Okay, so. But, I, but I'm from the outside, I'm like a.
0: So you went to the school, you were ordained by them or whatever.
1: Yeah, they, but, they like kinda clean me, but not, you right. know, I'm like. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta be careful. I'm Kenny X, so they kinda yeah. claim me, but they don't, you know, it's one of those things. And I gotta be
0: careful as we're recording this, I need to be careful about yeah, 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 yeah. the that I'm dropping. Yeah, 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 but yeah. but I, I see.
1: No, a, but they're doing the Hottie is my friend. He's doing great work.
0: Yeah, they're they're trying to doing make great work. some inroads of yeah. like how do we do this? I know doing like Uh, Dahadi and um, J.D. Greer recently have been working together on on, on some stuff to um, help educate and um, all those sorts of things. So I I love what I'm starting to see within that denomination. But um, yesterday we were talking, and you were saying how
1: there's bias in
0: all of us. Yes. So tell me about that. How is there bias in all of us?
1: Yeah, and I think this kind of like bleeds into the idea that you know I'm not racist, I don't see color, that kind of conversation. The reality is, of course you see color, everybody sees color, right? Like I would not want, you would, you would not be seeing me if you didn't see my color, like why would I not, the problem is not you seeing my color, it's the biases and stereotypes you attach to seeing my color, right? So it's a way of getting from up under the real hard work that's really there. And the reality is you may say, well I'm not racist, but you don't have to be racist to have bias. Everybody has bias. We see somebody that maybe looks a little sketchy and we like, ooh, I don't know. Right? We see somebody maybe from the other side of town. Uh, we see somebody that talks different than us or looks different than us or whatever. And we have whatever we have, a stereotype or an idea about them. And so you don't get rid of bias by denying it. You don't get rid of, you don't build unity by denial. Denial is the number one disease in America. It's not depression, it's denial. Because that's what we, we live in the United States of amnesia. That's where we are. Like we act like we act like the last 400. We act like 400 years of slavery didn't exist. We act like 70 years of Jim Crow didn't exist. We live in the United States of Amnesia. It was just the Civil Rights Movement happened 50 years ago. Yeah. 50 years ago. Like my dad was alive during the Civil Rights Movement. And so the reality is, this is a, we're one generation removed from this. And so I think we come at this with a sort of amnesia approach, like oh, I have black friends or I have Hispanic friends or I have Asian friends, whatever the case may be. And that still doesn't mean that you don't have bias. If you, you might love one black person, but not black people. Does that make sense? Like, like we love black art, but we don't love black people in America. We love hip hop, right? But we don't, we won't say anything about ice snatching 21 Savage or Meek Mill getting incarcerated over some stupid thing Right, like In other words, we can love what black people make and not love black people. We can love what Hispanic people make and not love Hispanic people. And so it's just understanding that all of us have that propensity in our heart because we're sinners. Like that's where the gospel speaks, amen? This is a church full of people who believe in the risen Jesus, amen? There's a cross for a reason, amen? We need grace. But but I, I don't think we get what we want to see happen Without at first admitting that bias. Yeah, and
0: one thing that I've been trying to learn. Yeah, um, is that with the whole "I don't see color" mentality. Yeah, that's predominant among the white community. Right. And the reason why we're doing that is, and I'm sorry if I'm not speaking for you. But um, you
1: just speak for Zoe.
0: Sure. Is. Um, we like to take race off the table. Yes. I don't see color. And so what I might even be saying is, I don't judge you or think less of you because you look different than me. And I mean well when I say this. And look, uh, you know, I love black people. I don't yeah. see color or right. whatever. But what, what we can do sometimes is the white community is not used to dealing with their own race. That's it. Because they don't see themselves as white. That's it. They
1: see themselves as, dare I say, normal. Just normal. Like, so it's a form of privilege, right? Which we'll talk about later what white privilege is, but it is a form of privilege. Jane Elliott, the most fierce little white lady, she used to to march with MLK, you know she bought it. She said, Jane Elliott said the one, the number one privilege white people have in America is to never have to think about being white. Yeah. And and so the reality is when you think about that, Zoe, like to say I don't see color is a statement of privilege because it's like, well, I don't don't have, have to. Well, I don't have a color, I'm just me. I don't have a culture. I'm just mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And so once you say that, you are right. You're, yeah. And I think we have to be careful. Yeah. That we
0: bear with me. I think it's possible, especially if we're talking in light of unconscious bias. Yes. Right. Which is, most of it is unconscious. Yeah. So it's not. And that's the thing you talked
1: about how everyone is biased. Yeah. Most of it's unconscious. Yes, yeah, unconscious. We're not talking about KKK K- wearing. No. Like you, you were know, raised to see this these type of people that way. You. Somebody told you a horrible story about going to Inglewood. I don't know, like you know what I mean. Like you, somebody says, "Oh, Compton is dangerous. They might shoot you." You know, like and so you go there and you're afraid, right? So there's anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. So uh, no, I was, just I was trying to, say, to be helpful. Uh, you, and <laughs> this, you are you are helpful. <laughs> Thank you. But
0: I I think that um, what was I gonna say?
1: I don't know. I cut you off. That's what I said. Oh man, it was gonna be so good. It was good. You, you, you were saying something about Yo, help me, help me. What is said he?
0: It's possible. Yes, thank you. Anything is possible to him who believes. I received that. Okay. <laughs> I think it's possible and I think we need to make space, especially when we're talking about unconscious bias, that we help to educate people, expose ignorance, promote learning and understanding and humility, Yeah. but be careful even in the way we address unconscious bias. Because if we address unconscious bias and we assume the worst of someone who says, I don't see color, and we address that, we could address it in such a way that they hear us telling them that they are members of the KKK. And in doing that, we don't draw them into the conversation and don't expose them to learning. And we don't expose them to growing beyond their ignorance and learning what life is like to be you. You know? And we have, so I think we have to be careful in how we address, I think we should address it. Yes. But also be careful about engaging in the conversation in a way that draws people in yes. so they can learn how to be a part of the solution and learn how maybe unintentionally they've been a part of the problem. That's good. And anyway, we, we've got we, a, and, and so of course, Schultz, the presidential candidate, he may, and if you look at the whole context of his statement. Yeah. Right? You know what he was trying to say. Right. And then he says what he shouldn't have said, right. which is wrong and right. dismissive right. And, uh, and, and a problem. And that, it's a lot right. of times people think, you know, what's the big deal? I don't see color, that's a good thing. And, and here's the thing, my daughter, so when my daughter was born, my oldest daughter, we lived in a predominantly black neighborhood. And so when, we would, when she was learning how to walk and we'd walk around the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff, she didn't see people that looked like us right. all day long. She, looked, she saw people in the neighborhood that didn't look like, like her. Right. But here's the thing. My daughter doesn't see color. But my daughter is a child. Hmm. She has an immature perspective. Yeah. She's a child. And that's the problem when we have that attitude of of not seeing color. We have an immature perspective of something that we need to be paying attention to.
1: Right. And there's a purity in what your daughter has. Right. Right? That we've lost because, like I said in my sermon, we've been discipled into division. And there's a purity in that. And in the kingdom, that's the ideal. Right? The ideal in the kingdom is this: be able to say, I'm, I don't see color. Right? Right? I'm colorblind or whatever the case may be. That's the ideal. But, but the reality is, the real is, we all have real experiences with baggage, and, and we've all been taught a certain way and we've all been raised a certain way and once you bring sin into, like because those are all now structures, once you bring that kind of structural sin into the, the equation, you of course you see color. So now you're not, you can't say I'm color you're just blind. Yeah. And that's the worst thing to be, is to just be blind. So obviously um,
0: there's been uh, a lot more, uh exposure on yeah. uh, the, the emergence of the Black Lives Matter.
1: Yeah, movement. yeah, man.
0: And one common response is. Don't say it. I'm gonna. Don't say it. The, the competing <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> all lives matter.
1: Oh Lord, you said it.
0: So, so <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about what is wrong with that statement, that all lives matter in response to yeah. the statement of Black Lives Matter.
1: Yeah, what's right about it is it's true. Sure. What's wrong about it is it's false. At the same time. All lives matter is true, all lives do matter. But it's false that all lives matter in America. That's not true, right? And, and what that statement does is dismiss the experience of millions and millions of people of color who have been pulled over by the police, who have been pushed out of their community, who have seen no investors come into their neighborhood just because they're black, who have who have been who have been incarcerated for things that are legal today. Right? Like, in other words, it, it it's it's not true. All lives don't matter. And so I think it's another kind of sort of judo attempt to get out from get, to get up from under the discussion, to get out of the discomfort of admitting that there is a problem and that I may actually be a part of that problem, right? And so it, it's, a, it's a real dismissive um, idea. And, and here's why we say unapologetically Black Lives Matter in, Ameri- in, in Harlem. Our church says unapologetically Black Lives Matter. And we say that because we know and we believe that the people at the bottom, which has historically been people of African descent, black folks, the people at the very bottom of the structures in America, if their lives matter, then every life will matter. Every life will matter on the way up. Does that make sense? So if the people who by 2020, one out of every four of them will be incarcerated or have a criminal record, if their lives matter for crimes that we've all done, for stuff that you did in college, for stuff that you might still be doing. Let's just some of us need some prayer. Amen. <laughs> they incarcerated. Incar- Over 50% of them for drug crimes. Not violent offenses. Not murder. Drug crimes. Incarcerated for years. Judge throw the book at them. When we live in a, in a society like that, if if that if their lives matter, then a rising a rising tide floats all ships. Like everybody's gonna matter on the way up. And so I'll never forget, I heard this quote by somebody um, from um, from Germany during Nazi Germany time and and they said that, you know, it, it, was a, it was a minority group that wasn't German and they said, well, you know, first, the Nazis came for the Jews and we didn't say anything and then they came for, the, for this group and we didn't say anything and then they came for this group and we didn't say anything and then before you knew it, they came for us and there was no one left to defend us. And so this is why it's important for us all to raise our voice. If, if if we're going to be a part of the solution, so I, again, I, all lives matter, yes, but historically and practically, all lives don't matter. Yeah, and we have to be able to say both. Yeah, it's
0: once again, it's it's being it's taking race off the table. Yeah, to say
1: black lives matter, and, and only people response
0: is, all lives matter. It's like, oh wait, you just unblacked me. Yeah, like, like only just, people
1: who don't think they have a race can say that, can take right. race off the table. Right.
0: Yeah. It's literally taking, it's not even saying, it's, it's interesting. The response is not, hey, white lives matter too. Right. It's saying all lives matter, which is, is dismissive of race.
1: I saw a funny meme the other day. Could you imagine in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, blessed is the poor in spirit, and somebody said, all lives matter? <laughs> and, and Jesus would have just looked at them like, no, like, 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 everybody matters. No. He was, of course, everybody matters, but he's talking about a specific people that are marginalized. Yeah. When Jesus said, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. What if somebody just shouted in the crowd? Well, all, all Jewish lives matter. Every, everybody matters. And Jesus would look at him like, get out of my face. <laughs> right? but, but that's the stuff we do today. Yeah. And so I think it's understanding, too, and this is the Christian component of this. Do you understand that Jesus was colonized? Like, like do you understand who we call Lord? See, see, this is a big problem in America because we've worshiped a white Jesus for so long that we actually think Jesus was white. But the reality is Jesus, wasn't, Jesus was a Middle Eastern man. Of, 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 he was a man of Middle Eastern descent. Jesus, Jesus looked totally different than all of, our, all of our pictures and movies and all of that depict him as. And when you understand that Jesus was able to go to Egypt and fit in, Jesus went to Africa as a baby. And Herod couldn't find him there. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, so the reality is, I, I think we don't even know Jesus. Like, I, like I don't know who the American Church worships as Jesus, because if you look at Jesus, he was colonized, he was crucified. Jesus was an enemy of the state. They, they, Jesus was treated. Like, a, listen, Jesus was just another Jew that the Romans threw on a cross. They did not care, his life did not matter. Jesus' life didn't matter. I like how Chancellor Rapper said it, Jesus' black life ain't matter, right? They, they, a poet said this, Jesus died in the blackest way possible with his hands up and his mother watching. If, if you don't understand Jesus correctly, then nothing else matters. Like, none of this discussion matters. And so that's what me and Zoe really want for you guys, and that's what we spend a lot of our time talking about. It's the church getting Jesus right, because if you get Jesus right, you'll get everything else right. You'll get the way you see yourself right, you'll get justice right, you'll get everything else right.
0: And we've just got to recognize, you know, everyone, if we are in that group that's response is all lives matter, yeah. we, um, we fail to recognize that what's being said with the statement Black Lives Matter is that, yes, at a macro level, all lives matter, sure, but on a more micro level, there are people who are saying Black Lives Matter, drawing attention to the fact that they don't feel like their lives matter because of some of of how our culture is run and and what happens in society. And for us to say all lives matter, we're just like, oh, your struggle and the stuff you go through and your experience, delete, it's completely dismissed, totally Mm -hmm. disregarded. Um, so,
1: Which just furthers the divide. No like, doubt about it. it it's no just saying, well, I, I don't care about ever being in a relationship with you.
0: Right, well, and then the response to that is, yeah, 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 but like, I'm not racist or anything. Right, right. So what's wrong with that statement? What's wrong with, because basically that's for people who have unconscious bias, mm-hmm. who contribute to the, and let's assume, like, we all get what's wrong with the most extreme form. Of course. Right. That, that's crystal clear. Part of the problem is the unconscious part, mm-hmm. and how we're contributing to that. And mm-hmm. often, what will happen is we'll re- will sort of defend ourselves right. by to whatever the thing is, whatever the argument or statement or comment. Yeah, but okay, I'm not racist. I got mm-hmm. I got a black friend, mm-hmm. or I whatever, <laughs> right? What what's wrong with that statement by just saying, "Hey, I'm not racist."
1: Right. Well, I kind of talked about it a little earlier. I mean you may not be racist, but you have bias. And, and it's understanding that even if you're not racist, that doesn't mean racism doesn't exist. So you, you gotta be able to make, like, th- this is that individualism I was talking about in my sermon. Well, if I'm not doing it, then hey, it's all good. But if you're not doing it, but your parents are, it's not all good. If you don't use the N-word, but your parents do, it's not all good, right? If, if just because you don't do it, doesn't mean it's not being done. So the gospel question isn't, do I do it, or do I not do it? The gospel question is, what would Jesus do? Hello, fifth grade. Put the bracelet on to remind yourself. What would Jesus do? And when you look at it from that angle, you realize that it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. Like, I'm up here, I'm one black man with one experience as a black person. There's other black men and women in this room and in this world who have a totally different experience than I do. Black people aren't monoliths. I'm not a magical Negro. I don't have all the answers. But what I can speak to is the experience itself and what it it feels like to be black. I can tell you that. I can tell you as a pastor with two degrees what it feels like to see the police behind me in traffic, though I have no criminal record. I can tell you about the time three years ago when I almost lost my life because the NYPD pulled up on me and thought that I was breaking into a car when I was just out walking my dog with my wife. I can tell you they—I can tell you what it feels like to have a gun in your face and them telling you to put your effing hands up or smoke you. Like I can tell you what that feels like. That's what it feels like to be black. I can tell you what it feels like to walk into a store with a pocket full of money and be followed everywhere you go. I can tell you what that feels like because that's my experience. But the reality is even if you don't have that experience, that doesn't negate my experience, right. that I have had it. Right. And so it's understanding that it's bigger than what you think. There's a whole group of people who feel something that is real. Yeah. And if we're gonna be the church, and if we're gonna look like Jesus, what do you think Jesus would be? What you have done for them, you do for me. That's what he said. What you have done for the people that nobody wants, you've done for me. And so, yeah. this is where I
0: think white privilege comes in.
1: Yeah, that's good
0: um, yeah. And, and people say, "White privilege." I mean, yeah, I'm white, but I don't have white privilege. White privilege doesn't exist. Kenny, I've had to work for everything. Yeah. No one gave me a handout. That's so good. No one, whatever, yeah. right? You know. Yeah. No one gave me any. Uh, you know, no one let me jump ahead right. or whatever. I had to work for everything I've accomplished. It was action to get what I want. None of that, got, right? right? So I'm, um, you know, like, I didn't get any favors for anyone. Right. And so we, we're dismissive of white privilege. Yep. And uh, again, I think what we're doing is like, we're just like, we're, we're missing what's other. being said. We're not paying attention to one another. We're not hearing one another, which is why we need to keep talking about this stuff so we understand and try to humbly learn from one another. Tell me about your experience, Kenny. Yeah. Tell me about that time when you were walking your dog yep. and that happened. And tell me about what it's like to have all eyes on you when you walk into the liquor store or whatever, right. or, or whatever it might be. Right. And um, we, we've gotta be uh, careful that we, I think sometimes we take people so literally, yeah. Like. Black lives don't matter. All lives matter. Right. Okay, can you stop and hear what's being said yes. for a second? You right. know? Or white privilege, I've had to work for everything. No one's right. given me any privilege. So right. no, you have it because of how you look. Right. And we have to pay attention to that. It. It's, it's, I mean, I'm happy to talk to you later if you want about it, yeah. but yeah. tell me about... and, and So and one of the responses to that...
1: White privilege? Is,
0: ...is we see the response, and it's been referred to as white fragility yeah so tell me about that yeah if you have any thoughts absolutely on that
1: yeah i mean white privilege is like it doesn't negate the fact that you didn't work hard to get where you got it doesn't negate the fact that you didn't earn your way or pull yourselves up by your bootstraps right right mlk said you know it's one thing to tell to say pull yourselves up by your bootstraps it's another thing to say to a bootless man yes
0: i was actually watching that video this week
1: to pull yourselves up yeah. By your bootstraps to be black in America is to be bootless.
0: Yeah, I think he said. Like, I think he said, it, it, like, yeah. it, it was like the greatest. I don't, I don't know, misquote, but somehow, how wrong it is to tell a man who has no boots, boots to, pull, to himself pull himself up, himself up, the up the by his
1: bootstraps. So, so you have to understand that 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 privilege is like white privilege is like walking around society with an invisible set of keys that open every door, and you don't know you have the key. But if you work hard enough and you achieve and you put your mind to it and you go to Stanford or Columbia or Harvard or UCLA or whatever other school you can think of, you can make it and you can be what everybody else can be. right? And you actually can dream that way because you have these set of keys in your back pocket that will open every door in our society for you. To be black is, is to, to, to basically walk through society with no boots on and be told, you pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, every school in your community is failing. There's no resources in your community. There's no way to actually educate your children. There's there's no fair housing. You look at the slums you're forced to live in, which by the way was institutionalized by the government, right? The FHA, the, the federal government is why cities in America are so segregated. They created the problem that gentrification is agitating. The federal government, about 50 years ago, redlined every black community. So the moment that one person of color lived in that neighborhood, the community's property value was dramatically reduced. And in Brooklyn, this was a big issue because, and there's a book about this called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, he's a Jewish historian, so go pick that up. We gotta give y'all some resources too. But, but he documents this entire movement and he talks about in Brooklyn how there was this diverse, incredibly diverse community. White poor immigrants would live with black, you know, would, would live with black residents and black neighbors and they would all live together and play, the kids would play. It, it, and this was like, you know, during the 1900s. But then the redlining policy started and these white immigrants realized, yo, my property value dropped dramatically just because somebody black lives next to me. Why would I stay here? And so they started to leave. And what started to happen was then they started to create deeds and housing laws and policies where if you were black, it literally said in the deed, you could not sell this home yeah. to a black person. In the deed, it said that. Mm-hmm. So there's a black person. This is black, uh, a man who was very, very wealthy. He was a construction worker. During this time, he lived in New York City. He helped build the Hamptons, which I don't know if y'all saw white chicks, but... The Hamptons is like the Beverly Hills of New York, right? He built the entire thing, but within the deeds of every house he built, he could not live there. He made more money and had more money than all of the white folks moving in, but he couldn't live there. He had to live in a black community that was redlined, that was the inner city, that was the ghetto, Mm -hmm. right? And so understand that all of this is structural, Somebody said, we don't want these two groups of people together, and created laws to follow that through. Yeah. So, it's I don't even know why. I was going with It's communities. Yeah, but...
0: I mean, it's communities. I remember uh, a guy I used to work with, um, it was still on the historical paperwork or whatever. He had a house in Silver Lake.
1: You can still see it. And there it was. Right there. You
0: know, had to be sold to
1: a white person only. Only. Doesn't matter if you had the money.
0: Yeah. So... Um, Man, this stuff bugs me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And it's easy for me to say. But in light of that, you know, it's easy for me to say that. We talk about white privilege, all that kind of stuff. But I guess, right, like, if this stuff exists, people like me have a responsibility now. I mean, you you talked about it earlier. What does it look like for us to be stewards of that? Someone Right? To serve and to love other people, and to give them voice and to um, acknowledge them in holi- holistic ways, right. right? How do we be advocates? People who have this have a responsibility to steward that so called privilege right. well for right. the good of other people.
1: Right. I mean, I actually you wrote look, this down. At, you're looking I was looking something for up. something that I actually wrote down um, because I was meditating on this the other day, but basically, I said, if you look at the early church, you would think that um, they were against wealth, that they were for justice for the oppressed, that they were socialist in some of their economic and social policies. In other words, when you look at the early church, they look nothing like the church today does. The early church looked like a group of dangerous liberals to conservatives and a group of dangerous conservatives to liberals. And that was Jesus. That's because they look like Jesus. When you understand that Jesus was crucified by both the state and the religious community, then you understand where the church's role fits in all of this. And so I think as the people of God, we have to ask ourselves, how are we, how are we embodying this message that we preach, this gospel that we preach? How are we, how are we living out when Jesus says, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. How does our community make room for people that society has thrown away? To be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. That means we all have a cross to die on. Jesus died on his, what is my cross? And so I think it's important for everybody in the room with a level of privilege and power to really ask that question. And what I would love is if white people in the church, and this is just a personal thing, this is just a personal thing, So It's okay if y'all still do it, but this is just my personal thing. What I tell our people is all our white people, I'm like talk about justice. Let our black people talk about reconciliation. Let our brown people talk about reconciliation. In other words, let the group that's been oppressed talk about restoring relationship. Don't don't let the group with power come tell the group that's oppressed, "Now it's time like oh no no, now let's talk about reconciliation." Because that can be a form of saviorism and paternalism. Oh yeah. Which is a big problem. Right and the way that the church tends to handle these issues. Well, let's just go into this black community and let's fix these issues, or let's go into this Mexican community, this Hispanic community, and let's fix these issues. And the reality is, those people, there are people there who've been working on those issues for a long time. What if we go in and learn their language?
0: And we see that that's more than theory.
1: That's more than theory. We
0: see that probably in every city in America, every city, the issue of paternalism. Yes. That actually doesn't help
1: anybody. Doesn't help anybody.
0: And and could and probably does perpetuate problems. Yes,
1: yeah. So, so it's, it's understanding the posture because your posture allows you to gesture. So if everybody came to the table with a posture that allowed them to gesture in a way that was inclusive and loving and, and invited people into the table that, to belong, like the best example of this I can give you is the early church. Like you, you wanna talk about what this looks like? Go to Acts chapter six. Whenever we install deacons, we always talk about, you know, we read them, you know, we, we read the names and we go through the process of installation and we say, oh, Acts 6, Stephen and all these people. But when you look at that text, what you'll see is there was an issue. What was the issue? There was a group with power that was oppressing a group within the church that didn't have power. There was the Hebrew widows who had power who were oppressing the Hellenistic widows who didn't have power. And what happens in the text? The community comes to complain to the apostles. Well, what should we do? Because these people are like, I, our mama and them ain't eating. We want some food too. We hungry, Jesus. How can we eat? And they come to the apostles like, we're, we're being oppressed. And what happens? They look at each other and they say, well, we can't stop preaching the word to wait on tables. Appoint seven godly men from among you. Remember? Do all remember that text? I know we read our Bibles, right? Amen? Okay. Appoint seven godly men from among you. And what happens? The community comes back with the deacons. And if you look at that text, every single one of them had a Greek name. Every single one of them had a Greek name, which means the community, the church, the group with power, went to the group without power and picked seven people from the group without power to lead the church in that area. That is very different than tokenism that is very different than let's put one black person up here let's let's have a black friend that is complete equity that is reversing the entire system that's what the gospel does it turns the entire system on its head, and so that's the way forward for the church. We have to give away the, these we have to get out of these sort of cheap answers to a complex and deep problem, and we have to say, what would it look like to turn the entire system on its head? Because if Jesus was here, he would flip over tables. If We would have to teach Jesus the way we do church. Straight up. He would walk in here, and we would have to teach him how to do this. And so the reality is, it's important for us to get ready now before we get there and meet him.
0: So, one thing that's not been helpful that's created issues, and you referenced it earlier, is um, the ge- the gentrification of, of neighborhoods.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How
0: are how are we to respond? How's the church mm-hmm. is to respond? How are we as individuals to respond to that? I mean, we see it happening really across L.A. It, yeah. it's, it's happening. You throw a rock, you can hit a gentrifying neighborhood. Right. What's what's our response to be? Me?
1: I mean, I, how, how do we how do we it's so it's so tough, man. Because like gentrification is one of those issues, man. Like that hit cl- that hits close to home for me, being a Harlemite and just seeing my community change. You know, seeing a Whole Foods now in my community, and, and we want Whole Foods, and, and seeing a Shake Shack there now, and all these other communities where this community did not have the, the 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 Harlem community petitioned the city of New York for 50 years for a supermarket that had healthy food options. And we didn't get one until white people started moving into the neighborhood. And so you, you have to understand what that does. So when I, when I go and talk to you know, one of the young men in Harlem, they call me Pastor K in Harlem, I'm the hood pastor. So when I talk to one of my young hood dudes about, Yo, how do you feel about the changes happening in the neighborhood, he grew up there. And he said, you know Pastor K, I'm not, like, I'm not mad that white people live here. Like I'm tired of seeing the same people every day. He says, you know what my problem is? They're scared of us. We've lived here our whole lives. They just moved here, they're scared of us. He was like they, like, they like, cross the street when they see us, put their head down, won't say hi, won't make eye contact. Like, like, we're literally here to hurt them.
0: Yeah.
1: In our neighborhood. Think about how dehumanizing that is. In your neighborhood, somebody who just moved in, are treating you like you don't belong, like you're dangerous. Yeah. In I your me- neighborhood.
0: I remember the first time I, I heard
1: First time I heard
0: I heard of that from someone who lived it. Yeah. He he's African American, pastor friend of mine, and um, he had he was experiencing racism. Yeah. And he says, You know, Lorenzo, because black people are scary. Yeah. I'm like, what? He's right. like, you know, black people are scary. And then he just went on to to talk about that talk from first hand experience.
1: What it feels like. Yeah. Every day to be treated like you're some monster. Right? That that's gonna hurt somebody when you're just, you're just in your neighborhood that you grew up in. So how do and, we... and, 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 oh, and the other thing, so then I asked him about Whole Foods. I said, so what do you think about Whole Foods? And he said, yo, Pastor Kay, I love the fact that they have healthy food choices. Like, listen, like, I might want some squash or some zucchini. Like, I don't want to eat Mickey D's every day. But then he said, but we can't afford to eat there. What can we buy at Whole Foods? In Harlem, the, ha- the average household income it's 21000 a year. The average household rent is 2400 a month. The people who live in the neighborhood can never go to Whole Foods. They can't go to Shake Shack. They can't. So all he was saying is positive changes are happening in my community that I want, but I can never benefit from. That's what gentrification feels like. So what do we do? I think if, it depends on what side of the spectrum you're on. If you're a gentrifier, I think there's a lot of work you're gonna have to do to unlearn a lot of bias. And you're gonna have to be, you're, you're gonna have to be able to understand that there is a community here that li- existed long before I got here. And they, they were here not by choice. You, you think black folks in Inglewood wouldn't have liked to move to Beverly Hills if they could? You think they wouldn't have liked to move to Brentwood? You think they wanted to stay? Oh, y'all thought I ain't know some neighborhoods? Why y'all looking at me for money? They ain't know? I I be knowing? You you think they ain't want to do that? No, they stayed there because they had to. They stayed there because they couldn't go anywhere else. They couldn't afford to go anywhere else. And so when you understand that there's people here who have a culture and a history that I want to respect, there's a Mexican community here I want to respect, there's a black community here I want to respect, there's an Asian community here I want to respect, now you can become... Like, I, I, and the challenge of justification is, I would say, if you're not from the neighborhood, don't leave, because I would rather a Christian who's woke and aware, but others stay, because if you move out, somebody who's not aware is going to move in, and it's going to be even more of a problem. So, like, don't leave. Change it while you're in it. Say, yo, I understand that I'm a part of something that that I don't want to be a part of. I don't. I don't. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to push your abuela out of this neighborhood. I don't want for your grandmother to not be able to live here anymore. But the fact of the matter is, how can I use whatever privilege I have to change this? You should be at the community board meetings. You should be the one there arguing for the rights of the community. You should be the one protesting Shake Shack, protesting Whole Foods. You should be shopping at the local supermarket there, whatever that is. In New York, we got like 50,000 of them. We got key food, we got associated. I don't know what y'all got here, but you should be shopping local. You should be buying local. You should be buying small business. In other words, your dollars speak. If you go to every new fancy coffee shop in your neighborhood, but yet you say you love black and brown people, you are part of the problem. And And the challenge with gentrification is it's not just white folks. There's black and brown folks who are also gentrifiers. That was, that's one of the ch- challenges that I have to get my black folks to understand in Harlem. I'm like, yo, you're from D.C. You're not from Harlem. And though you have a great heart and you might love the neighborhood, this is a like you don't know the culture here. So you're, you're moving in with, good, with, with black dollars. You're moving in. You might work at a law firm. You might be in, in, on Wall Street or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, you're eating at the coffee, you're eating at Whole Foods, you're shopping at the new coffee shops, you're going to all the new businesses, and, the, and gentrification only sees one color, and it's green. Period. So it's understanding that what I do with my money speaks louder than what I say I believe. The number one original sin in America is greed. You dry up the money. You're gonna see people. You're gonna see people start asking questions and things start changing. So, so let's say that
0: there are people here and they're like, "I might be a gentrifier."
1: What, I feel like this is a AA meeting. What?
0: What? What do they? Hi, do? I'm
1: Kenny. I'm a gentrifier. What,
0: what? What do they do?
1: If you can drive 20 miles to buy something that's in your neighborhood now just because somebody like you moved in, do it. If you can go to a community board meeting and you sit there on the side of the community and say we don't want that new development here, do it. If you can open up your home to get to know your neighbors, then do it. In other words, if each individual person took the responsibility to, to in this room to build a space, where they were the minority, then we would see the kingdom of God come to this community. That's all it takes. All Jesus needs is two or more. He don't need. He, he changed the world with twelve people, really eleven without Judas. You know, we ain't gonna get on Judas right now. Why did you gesture in my general direction? No, no, I was. No, Judas is over there. there. Judas is over there. He's on the couches. <laughs> Judas is behind Judas. us. Right, get behind me, Satan. Judas is back there. I feel so, so
0: attacked right no, now. No, 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 no,
1: no, no, no. You good. You you, Paul. You ready to customize... You you, you Peter. You ready to customize the air off. You a rider. You bought that life, though. But with 11 people, Jesus changed the world. With no Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. What? He changed the world without social media. Isn't that crazy? So imagine what God can do. Our problem is we don't believe in the power of God. We, we don't believe God can do what we can't. And, and because we have little faith, we ask God to do man things. That's another sermon. I'm about to start preaching so God pull me back. Because these people gotta get home, they've been here a long time. But, 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 but when you start believing in God to do God things, you'll start to see him show up and part C's and raise the dead and tear down your biases because he's bigger than your upbringing, right? He's bigger than the way you were raised. He's bigger than the way you vote. He's bigger than that. So I think it's really, it's coming back to Jesus because if the church lives like the church, then this neighborhood would change. It would have to change. It has to move. Jesus said, if these people don't worship me, the stones will cry out. It has to move. Anything Satan has put up has to go when Jesus is there. Period. And so I just look at Satan and I'm just like, i rebuke in the name of Jesus. Get behind me because we're moving through here. And we're going to march around this city and watch the walls come down. We ain't even going to lift a hand. We're going to march and we're going to worship and we're going to be together and we're going to practice unity and we're going to love one another that don't look like us. We're going to dignify our neighbors and we're going to watch these walls come down because they will. Period. They have to. And that's really what it takes.
0: So let me ask you a question. Do you think the gospel gentrifies?
1: No. I think the gospel dignifies. But
0: I'll give you the back. back yeah, what do you mean by gentrifying? Behind that, I remember hearing a, a very well-known, famous pastor. And, and his, what, what, what he basically said is, when we see the implications of the gospel coming into a neighborhood or reaching people
1: and Ooh, lives being good. transformed and all that got kind you, of got stuff, you.
0: he's like, That's basically gentrification.
1: Was he white? You know he was. I know he was. No, I I would say... You know him. Oh, I probably do. Don't even say his name. (laughs) The gospel doesn't gentrify, it revitalizes. Gentrification is top-down change. Revitalization is ground up. Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which means the kingdom comes from the ground up. It means in Christianity, the future comes from the ground up. So what he's trying to say is the kingdom of God, when it's realized in a community, changes and transforms everything. The institutions, the people, the culture, right? But, what he's, but he's taking the approach of privilege and saying it gentrifies. No, it's not like putting a luxury development. The kingdom of God doesn't put luxury developments in the middle of the hood to change it. The kingdom of God is a mustard seed that starts in the ground and it becomes a tree big enough for everybody to get shade and everybody to eat and everybody to get protection and for all, for everybody's life to matter. That's the way the kingdom happens. And so it's important that we understand that because once we make that shift, now we can start to see God move. But it starts from the ground up. That's good. You know what's interesting? When I moved to LA in two thousand uh, ten years ago. Yeah. When I moved here ten years ago,
0: um, I heard the word gentrification for the first time. But I was like, what? And Don't it, was, it, was, it was it was communicated to me as a perk, as a positive
1: thing. Like,
0: oh, it's really great, you know, this area is gentrifying. Yeah. You
1: know? Did they rebrand it? Did they rebrand the neighborhood? Uh so like in Harlem, it's like Soha. Well yeah, like South there, Harlem is Soha. Yeah, there's there's there, I well, yeah. I'm like, that's Morningside Heights. You better not get caught out there after 10. Don't play. Yeah, And that,
0: right. you know, the real, the real estate uh, industry, I think, is helping right. with that. Yeah. And, and if some of you work in real grand. estate,
1: that's going to be a big front line. Yeah. And it's happening here, too. Right.
0: Uh, they made a fancy neighborhood, our uh, name for my old neighborhood, uh, mm. and that no one there actually called it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, we went from South Central to South LA, wow. and now I'm hearing Sola.
1: What's up with these solas? so SoHa SoHo? There's there's a SoHo and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So,
0: yeah. So it was it was it was explained to me as a positive. It's 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 And in ten years, yeah, the same people, yeah. that introduced m- my ignorant brain to that word, gentrification. Uh, now they see it for the problem that it is, but I remember when they
1: when they started to try to yeah, sell me house. Yeah, they're pushing it on yeah. me. They're
0: like, "Hey, this is a really great this thing. This is great. It's gentrifying. White people are safe now." And I like, "Okay, Google, right. what is gentrification?" Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So I think at, least, at the very least, what it tells me is that we're we're slowly learning. We need to learn quicker. Right. Um, and and that's part of even why we have conversations like this. Like, yeah. how do we how do we how do we have real conversations about these things um, that force us to take a humble posture, to try to learn, to try to consider how we're part of the problem, to try to see bias in our lives. You know what, You know, one thing that it drives me nuts, and, and I've become sensitive to this now, right? Is um, when pastors I don't know if you guys can see this when pastors have mics that look like this. Oh man, this is white privilege to me. <laughs> my, my this mic.
1: I, I I'm going like to go my with you. I'm skin. with you.
0: And some people are laughing and you, you might think that's funny, but it actually grieves me. Wow. It grieves me. It bothers me. Wow. And when we've had uh, pastors from the black community, such as yourself or whatever, come here and be a part of preaching the gospel yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And they see this and this and, is
1: dope. They yeah. got trees and <laughs> fence, little chandeliers projector. I'm like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Blue lights, green lights. It's grimy where we from. You're lucky to get in the cafeteria. And white mics. <laughs> and white you know, white
0: mics. <laughs> it, it, it bugs me. Right. It bugs me. And what I've seen with my pastor friends of other churches, right. well, they might have uh, African-American staff or whatever, and it's his turn to preach if they have a, like a teaching rotation or whatever. Right. And they hand them a mic that looks like this. And it's like, it's white privilege. That makes that assumption that this is the best mic for you. It's it's that's the, true. It's a lack of acknowledgement.
1: That's good of your culture. You know what I mean, I'm glad you asked me how I, how I wanted to preach because I was like, yeah, let me get the hand mic. Well, we do have a black one. Oh, you had a black one for me. <laughs> oh, you do. had a black one for we me. We actually you have more one than one. But I was but like, no, 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 no let, let me get a hand mic because in, in the black community, this is like we we like to do that. Like we MCs, yo, like I like, was about to spit a sixteen. Don't play. I got a mixtape. I drop bars on you. Don't play no games. I'm from New York. I'm from where it started at. So no, but I mean, yeah. I, I just think it's it's a it's understanding you have a culture, yeah, right. It's saying, yo, this is our culture. This is how we preach. This is how we communicate the gospel. But you have a culture. What would you prefer? And really, that's what we could. That's a posture we all could take. But
0: not only did I want you to feel comfortable about how you preached here, but like, but specifically, I'm talking about the color of this mic. Mm. You know, the the color of this mic assumes. That if this is all we had, yeah. that everyone who's going to say anything from this stage, yeah. their skin is going to match this tone of, mm. of this mic. Oh, I see that, where that's you're what going. I'm getting at.
1: That, you know that's, what else?
0: That's white privilege. I see to where you're me. going.
1: Right, right, and right. And right.
0: that really bums me out when I see that.
1: And you know what's crazy? You know what I, you know, I don't like? This is why I don't like hockey. Because it's just white men hitting a black puck. <laughs> what's up with all that? no, nah, no. Nah, Hey, man. Just because I'm, just cause I'm Canadian you. doesn't I'm mean i just that I know, I had to message you. I had to message you. <laughs> all those white men smacking that black puck. You see, that's the problem in America. And then I'm. All... And why we put black letters on a white page, huh? What's up with that? No, I'm not switching. I'm not with you. Okay, so just to close it out. That's but... the kind of stuff that be happening in Harlem, yo. If I took y'all down 125th Street, y'all... yeah, why is why, the page white? Why the page can't be black and the letters be white?
0: So we, we can talk about this forever. Yeah. We, we talked for like three hours in Miami. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, y'all. We're just, we're just totally just like being inconsiderate because this is the stuff we did in Miami. We, just, we can do this all day. So just in
0: closing then, what, what would your closing thoughts be? What, what, what would you like
1: to leave us with? I mean, maybe I, you said it all. You said a lot. I said a lot. I, I don't know if there's anything new to say. I, I just think I would challenge each and every one of you to go on a rediscovery of Jesus. Because if you get Jesus right, you'll get all this other stuff right. It starts with Jesus. And I would just, you know, Zoe and I talked on the car yesterday. You know, we had a good conversation just about everything we we're gonna to do today. And, you know, that was really one of the things that, you know, I just keep everything Christocentric. It's about Jesus for me. Like, like, it doesn't matter what sexuality you are. It doesn't matter how you vote. It doesn't matter where you come from, what neighborhood you're from, whether you're gentrified or gentrifier. If we can get Jesus right, then everything else now falls into place. If Jesus rose from the dead and he's Lord, and we understand that Jesus was marginalized, that he was colonized, and then he was crucified, if we understand that Jesus didn't have a say in whether his life mattered or not, that Jesus, no matter what he could have done in his Jewish flesh, was nothing but another Jewish man, another Jewish poor man that the Romans could just put the boot of oppression on. If we understand Jesus correctly, then we'll get everything else right. And I think we'll find our place in whatever story that is. You know, Maybe we're on a group that had the power. Maybe we're on a group that didn't have the power. But every group can find belonging at at the cross of Jesus.
0: Um, In closing, do you have, do you recommend any particular books or resources? Yeah,
1: there's a a lot of good ones. What
0: would you recommend?
1: Um, The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein to talk about the sort of, He's a Harvard professor, Jewish guy, to talk about the way that we've institutionalized segregation um and how racism is a structural problem. Um and then there's a lot of great books just like on theology and race. Like so there's race, a theological account. That's a that's a real good book, um, powerful book. There's um there's and the lynching tree by um James Cohn. That book will mess you up. Sounds like it. And, and basically the, the 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 whole thesis there was Jesus was lynched. Right? Jesus was a first century lynching victim. And, and he kind of talks about what I've been laying out, which is if you understand Jesus' location culturally at his time, then he was lynched, just the way we lynch black people in America. And so there's the cross and the lynching tree, James Cone. Um, man, there's too many. Y'all got to come see me after, man. I, I, I should have probably put an email list. To, maybe I'll put a book list together and you can like sure, yeah. send it out to the whole church w- if K- anybody's K- interested in picking some stuff up. So I hope...
0: I hope we've had an opportunity. I mean, thank you very much, Kenny. I really appreciate you you. spending the the day with us. (laughs) I hope you've been given something to think about. I hope that you'll more closely examine your own life to see where there might be unconscious bias, how you might be part of the problem. Um, If you are in a community where you have felt marginalized and disregarded and discarded for what it's worth. I feel like it's not worth anything, but I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, we, we, wanna, we wanna, yeah, not in this rescue paternal right. sense, but we, we wanna be a, a church community that reflects God's design for His church. We wanna be a part of the solution. We want this to be a safe place. Yeah. And by place, I don't mean this building. I mean our community. And we rent this place for five hours a Sunday. Big whoop. I'm yeah. not talking about the building. Yeah. We want our community to be a safe a nice community. Building. It is, yeah. is. We're blessed. Yeah, but, um, and I would say, please be sensitive about how we continue to have conversations. Yeah. Maybe let's not take each other so literally yeah. that we're trying to correct people. Yeah. No, black lives don't matter. All lives matter. Right. Let's not correct people technically. Right. Um, let's try to hear what's being said. That's good. Um, if someone, from, uh, someone that's part of the African-American community says something to you as a white person or whatever race you're a part of, um, hear what they're saying. Let's try to not get all uptight and feel attacked in that moment. Let's try to, to hear one another, let's try to understand one another. Because here's the thing, we can be right on the issues, but be totally wrong Oof. in the sense that we add to the divide. That's good. right? Like you could conduct, and I, I appreciate your demeanor and how yeah. you've talked and how you've yeah. you've shepherded our people.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And there's a way to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. where it wouldn't land. Yeah. You know where we wouldn't understand. Yeah. Um. And there's ways where on my end too. I mean, I can talk in such a way that I might be right about something. Come on. But in a way that you're like, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So not. how do we talk about these things in a way that are hearing one another and drawing people in so that we can agree, have conversations, and I would say ask stupid questions. Come on. Like a lot of people who are ignorant of this stuff, mm-hmm. there's sometimes a sense of, oh, I can't ask, that's a stupid question. And, you know, I'm, and I'm evidently part of the problem if I have to ask this question because I don't know the answer to it. Mm. How, do we, how, do we, how do we create a culture here where we can continue this dialogue and um, try to continue to have this yeah. conversation? Be righteous,
1: do. don't be right. That's There's good. a difference. I
0: should have said it like that.
1: That's okay. I got you.
0: That was both righteous and right. I got you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you for coming. Sorry we went long. I hope it was still worth it. Um, and this is not the end of this, obviously. Um, but this is a journey that we're on. And we all have, as we're a collective community, we all have the ability to, to, to play a role in, in, in this where it it is a blessing to other people and brings honor and glory to God and reflects God's heart for all people. So thank you for being here. Let's thank Kenny again. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. All right, let's pray one more time.